is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow! To throw rainbows it down the right side for Kyle Pitts. He's got it. He's there. Touchdown! Welcome back, everyone, to the Sports Bits Podcast with MoCo, here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. You can follow me on Twitter at SportsBitsPod to get updates on when I upload. I will also be tweeting out live takes and reactions of anything that is going on during the week. If you're on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. It'd be much appreciated to get get that podcast out there, more people's ears. And yeah, let's get on to it. There's a lot of things to talk about on the Florida side, mainly the schedule that got released last Wednesday right you know, I think right. I think the day before I uploaded the last uh, podcast, but we also had the Eric Gilbert transfer to talk about. Two big things, and there's also another last thing I'll, I'll say for the end, but for right now, that's all you got to know. First thing about the schedule, I'm just going to do a little raw take on it. I'm just going to read through it and see, give you my opinions on it just because I've had about, a, like, what is it, like about a week to look at it and just see what was up. So let's just quickly read it off. So, you know, we start at home. First game against Florida Atlantic at out-of-conference out of division game, which will be really good to warm up the season. You know, with all the new all the new changes and all that on offense and defense, so that'll be a great game. And then we have USF away at Tampa, which will be great for I think recruiting. You know, quickly just to quickly mention that. Then we have Alabama, another rematch, SEC uh, championship rematch, week three of the season, which is going to be crazy to have a game like that that early in the schedule. Then we got Tennessee, and then Kentucky, and then Vanderbilt right after. So that'll be a decent slate of games. You know, interconference. Uh, games, uh, at least SEC's conference games, and then we go straight to out of con- our uh, go to the West when we play LSU, then Georgia. LSU will be at, at Louisiana, and then Georgia will be, of course, the neutral site in Jacksonville. Right after Georgia, we got South Carolina away in Columbia, and then we got Sanford at home, another another out of conference game at home, which is going to be great. Then we got Missouri away, and then we end with Florida State at home as usual which is going to be a really fun to have that again since last season we only had a conference, NCC conference games. So it'll be nice having these out-of-state conference games again. And it's kind of funny. First thing I noticed is that we have three out-of-state, out-of-conference games in the state of Florida. So we got Florida Atlantic, of course, and then we got South Florida in Tampa, and then we got Florida State at home, which is going to be great. And I think all those three three games are going to be really helpful, bolster our recruiting and our, like, our repertoire in, in Florida. So that's going to really help, especially the Tampa game at South Florida. Because, you know, I think uh, at USF is competing with Florida on recruits, especially the three and four stars that we try to recruit out of Florida in that area. And I think definitely the higher uh, Wellesley McGriff is definitely going to help also bolster our recruiting in that area because he did come from Jeff Scott's uh, rec- uh, staff in USF. So that's going to be really great. Uh, Florida Atlantic, it'll be, and I think it'll be an easy game as long as, you know, Todd Grantham and Dan Mullen get their, get their act together by week one. And then we got Florida State. I don't expect them to be great. They're still trying to figure stuff out with Mike Norvell, and I think if they get that stuff figured out, it could be they could be a challenge every year. But for right now, I don't think we need to worry about them too much. I think it's just a game to just you know, for the right, it's a rivalry game, so just you know, it's going to be you know a lot of trash talking, a lot of you know which team is better currently. I think it's Florida. You know, before that, before uh, Dan Mullen came, it's definitely with Florida State. But I think with Dan Mullen here, we got long, we got a great you know couple of years to come when he when he stays in Florida. Over, over Florida State. Uh, the main thing I want to talk about next is the Alabama game, which is going to be uh, insane because both teams have lost a lot of talent to the draft uh, last season. 
and it's you know it's going to be a, a whole new whole new set of guys versus a whole new set of guys on the Alabama side and on the Florida side. And I think it'll just be based on coaching now. I think and, and developing because I feel since we have a full spring practice and we got a spring game and we got and we got summer, it'll give the guys plenty of time to you know get their get their act together, get the get the plays drawn up for the guys that need to be uh, need to be starting next year, especially Emory Jones because his playbook is going to be really different compared to what uh, we had with Kyle Trask. So on offense, that'll be fine. Defense. You know, there's a lot of question marks. You know, we had our new hires, you know, which is okay. I thought we're, at least I thought that we're good from on paper, but we'll see how they, how they end up developing these guys for next season against Alabama. And then we got Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. That's, you know, average games. I think the one thing that really stuck out to me uh, with these, with the schedule is that our two hardest games on the schedule, Alabama, Georgia, we have Tennessee and South Carolina right after and the thing about it's crazy about that because both teams have just went through a new hire, a uh, new hire process. So we got uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, and we got Josh Heupel at Tennessee. So you know it's a, a little bit of a wild card game because we don't know how these guys are going to, you know, react or how these how these guys are going to play at their respective uh, schools. Just because it's their first year, we don't know what they're going to implement. We don't know what they're going to try to do with the talent they have because a lot of talent is leaving Tennessee. I think South Carolina is doing a lot better in keeping keeping the talent they had from the Will Muschamp era. And also recruiting guys under Shane Beamer, but we don't. I actually really don't know. And it could be a it could be a hiccup game for for Florida if they don't take that seriously after a, like an intense game between Alabama and Georgia. If we don't, you know, take if we don't keep the, keep the train going, and we start to slow down right after our tough games, it like we did last year in 2020. That could really end up being like two losses if we really really messed up somehow. We could have two losses on the board right after potentially two other losses or two wins depending on how we do against Georgia and Alabama, which is really scary. But again, they're wild card games. I don't know what Josh Heupel and Shane Beamer are gonna do, but we we'll see when the first couple games come out. We'll see how they how they take their team, what direction they take their team, how they're gonna perform, you know, with a full spring and a, and a summer with their guys. So that was the main thing. You know, of course we got our, our conference games at Sanford as well. You know, that should be an easy win. Kentucky, Mike Stoops is doing a great job there. You know, it's another game that if you don't take it seriously you will get you will get thrown around by, by Kentucky. So as long as we take these games seriously, all of them as we're playing like an Alabama type game, we should be fine. We should, our only two losses or three losses really should be from Alabama, LSU, and, and Georgia, and LSU especially considering that all that talent they got, they were like a top five recruiting class in 2021, and we're playing away. We're playing in in the de in Death Valley, which is going to be the scariest part. That we're not uh, home for that game, and with all the stuff that Ed Ogeron's done. And, you know, especially with the new hires, they got rid of Bo Pelini. And it's, you know, I think that, that could turn the program around from what they did last year, even though they still beat us. They could potentially beat us again. You know what? You know, my friend, uh, funny enough, actually called me after that game. And he told me, like, yeah, LSU had Florida's number every single year. And I can see that now after looking back at every game except for 2018 when we had a really good defense that year and Felipe was, was you know, not injured. So that was the only year we really had against LSU. 2019, LSU beat us. 2020, LSU. You know, 2019, of course, but yeah, 2020 was a, a biggest surprise on the, on the schedule I've ever seen. That I think that was like the start of the downfall of the season was that LSU loss. We didn't take that seriously. Then that I think that translates to the Alabama loss. But we can that's in the past. We should focus on the future, which is the schedule, and see what we could do about this 2021 season with the guys we've recruited under Dan Mullen, and you know see how they mesh together and also how Dan Mullen can do with his own guys because most of the guys that we started were veterans from the McElwain era. And, you know, we don't know what these guys can do with their own guys. So maybe, you know, maybe maybe uh, Tom Grantham is way better than, than we thought because maybe he's recruiting his own guys. Maybe he has, his, he has time to implement the system. So, 
it could work. It could work with instead of having playing veterans, he could have a lot of new guys that he likes. Excuse me, uh, that he could you know put into the system, and maybe our defense is a lot better next year than it is this year. You know, you could be optimistic about it. You know, our history says otherwise with with Todd Grandpa, but you know, I, I say we'd be optimistic about it. You know, he's got a full off season to do it, and that's and if he doesn't perform, I think that's when the hot seat gets real hot, like the fire goes up to two hundred degrees. I think that's going to be a problem for for his like at least his job security in the future because we can't just be firing assistants left and right and saying that's the problem when Todd Grantham probably is the head man that needs to be looked at in the future. But yeah, anything else on the schedule didn't really seem too crazy. I mean, Missouri away if they're continuing with their 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 streak like they did last last season 2020, this could be they also could be another hiccup game like Kentucky cuz we're playing both of those uh teams away. So, Missouri should be another game like as long as we take it seriously, we should be fine. You know, this isn't we don't have that high powered offense, but I think we Dan Mullen with whoever they got and whatever talent they get I think he'll do fine. So I'm going to transition on to the Eric Gilbert uh, transfer. I mean, I think the schedule overall, I think it's a it's a very good schedule. I think it'll show what Dan Mullen can do with his own guys and his own system and not with veterans and stuff. So I think that'll be really good. So moving on to the Eric Gilbert uh, transfer. He transferred from LSU. He's apparently the number five tight end like, in the nation. Something crazy like that. He's like apparently one of the top guys. Like You expected him to stay at LSU just because... And Ogeron probably was going to try to convince him to stay with, you know, fixing himself up for 2021. But he transferred to Florida. And I think the main reason why he transferred to Florida is just because he, how he saw uh, Kyle Pitts from last year, like his performance and how he developed Kyle Pitts since his first year at Florida. And I think he sees that as potentially his way to become the next Kyle Pitts, which is possible. I mean, if you look at his stats last year, he was past, he had 35 passes for 369 yard, or 68 yards, correction. And two touchdowns in eight games, and to, and to think that's with you know Miles Brennan, uh, TJ I forgot his other name, but they were rotating quarterbacks left and right, and I just got so lost with what LSU was doing. But imagine if you know Eric Gilbert had a consistent like a one consistent one quarterback that he was you know passing to on practice every single day, building that chemistry. I think that could be a really good benefit to have Eric Gilbert with you know Emory Jones or an Anthony Richardson. That'd be really good. And he's that was only his freshman year. He did all he did. You know he he got he caught for 168 yards and two touchdowns his freshman year. So it can only go up from here as long as you know Dan Mullen in the tight end room develops him really well. And not to, speaking of the tight end room, surprisingly, the 2021 tight end room is going to be really packed. You know we got Kamori Gamble and Keon Zipper Zipper from last year. You know they're uh, Gamble of course is a senior and Zipper as a junior. I think they're going to definitely be that veteran you know, uh, leadership in that room, you know, I think there'll be also guys mentoring Eric Gilbert. And I think that, I think the tight end room can be really meshed together. You know, we could run two, three tight ends, uh, two, two tight end sets, you know, run gamble, Eric Gilbert, gamble, uh, gamble zipper. And those could be our two, our, our big guys out, out on the flats or wherever we would, uh, Dan Mullen decides to do with the tight ends this year, but not so much. We have John, uh, Jonathan Odin, uh, Gage Wilcox and Nick's, uh, X, uh, excellent. I think Elkson, Elkness, yeah, Elksness. From the 2021 signing signing class, which are also another guys, you know, probably gonna have to take some time to develop. Especially since Eric Gilbert's transferring from LSU, I think they're gonna definitely take more minutes away and more re- practice reps away from those guys. But I feel like there's a lot of guys to, sorry, there's a lot of guys that um that could you know develop you know the younger guys, and then we have our veteran guys in the tight end room that are really either mentor or you know get the, even their draft status like a draft you know capital higher. For you know, if they want to get drafted or if they want to stay, you know, a couple of years like, you know, as a grad as a graduate, that that works too. 
but yeah, I, I feel confident. You know that Eric Gilbert tra- um, transfer. You know he almost he probably would have ended up at Alabama if he wanted to transfer out. But thank God we had you know we have that you know resume of Kyle Pitts, and you know that would really you know convince Eric Gilbert is like oh Florida is actually a good option t- for a tight end compared to you know you know the traditional Alabama where he they tr- they develop everybody and they're on they're on twenty five seven a week, and they can just go 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 and and make everybody great and make everybody a first rounder basically. But I think that he showed that it showed last year that Florida can develop guys, and especially on the offensive side with Dan Mullen, that it's a really good, you know, really good program to go to if you're an offensive guy who wants to, you know, show off the skills. Maybe not take some time to develop, but maybe like get some starting reps as a freshman. I think Florida is the spot to go with, you know, especially Eric Gilbert and all those other guys. And the uh, the last thing that really I wanted to talk about. That was a really great news. I'm a big fan, and I'm big. Um, uh, I play a lot of sports video games. But the NCAA actually, or EA Sports, announced that they're going to bring back NCAA football uh, to Xbox and the PC and all that stuff for video games, and that's great because we haven't had one, haven't had a game NCAA game since uh, 2014. So that'll be really fun to have that back. You know, I think though with the combination of uh, name, image, and likeness and all that, really help you know propel that game to to back to relevancy you know so the players don't get screwed over by the the game and whatnot if you i don't know what side you're on but i i fully support the uh the name image and likeness of the players you know they should be able to market themselves and you know do whatever they need to do because you should never use their name for whatever you know they should be able to like build their own brand and then when they go to the nfl they can keep building that you know you know become like a household name you know, it could be like a Travis Kelsey or a Patrick Mahomes. You know, you can do keep doing that. You can start your college college days and then build it up in the NFL if you wanted to do that. But yeah, I think this is gonna be really fun. I can't wait for that game to come out because I'm I, I haven't played haven't had a new game since 2014. I've loved that game, playing it on the 360. But yeah, this is really hype, really hype news that you know I'll be able to play as a Florida Florida Gator on Xbox again. Like you know, we had Madden's you know college route thing college story uh, line thing you know they, they added Florida to the Madden 20 game I don't know about Madden 21 I didn't really play that game but yeah I mean Matt, Madden did a great job um, did a great job with the college stuff but I feel like there's not enough time to do college because mainly it's an NFL game but NCAA I think it'll be great hopefully they'll bring back dynasty mode where you know you'll be able to recruit guys play over like 10 plus years and build like a course of dynasty out of whatever program you want but that'll be a really fun thing but yeah overall Florida's got, I think, I feel confident, you know, especially that Eric Gilbert transfer really bolstered my confidence for next season. I, you know, I, I trust that Dan Mullen's going to do really good with the uh, with the quarterbacks. And then, we, of course, we have a loaded running back room as well with, you know, Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, and I think uh, Pierce and uh, Davis are back. And almost have Naquan Wright, so not to mention we have our, our loaded that. I think the wide receiver core is going to be probably our weaker compared to most series. And we've still got Copeland. Uh, Whitehead. Um, God, I I don't have these. I don't know these guys off the top of my head because most of the uh, most of the guys I played wide receiver last year were were seniors and older guys that went to the drafts. So, you know, Kadarius Tony, uh, uh, T- um, Grimes, uh, Tre'Davion Grimes. I think Tra- Trayvon. No, Trayvon Grimes. My bad. Trayvon Grimes. But yeah, it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be a lot to uh, a lot to unpack for next year. And I think you know with the full spring, hopefully we'll see at the spring game. You know how they how these guys are developing. And yeah, we'll see. But yeah, for the for the Florida side, that is it on the next on the next uh, Celtics part bit, which is going to be right after this. We're going to be talking about the Lakers and the Spurs, you know, the games the Celtics play, and then we're also going to be talking about potentially a hot take on Kemba, Kemba Walker. So stick around for that. 
Otherwise, on the floor side, I will see y'all next week. Peace. And we're back. All right, boys. I got the whole squad back together again. Got Reed, got James. We're going to roll right into it because we got a lot to talk about today. So, the yes, first sir. thing, we're going to talk about the Spurs game real quick. So, the quick, uh, quickly, the box score for that was uh, 106 to 110 Spurs. And the one thing I'm going to first mention about that game is that every starter had double-digit points. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge, Keon, John, or, is it Ke- Keon Johnson or Keldon Johnson, DeMar DeRozan, everybody got double digits. It was a crazy game. You know, I was watching it, and LaMarcus Aldridge was completely bullying everybody in the paint. Big facts. You know, which, is, which is fair. You know, he's LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, you can't count him out, even though he's like an old guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just talking about the double digits, like everyone in the starter had double digits, including Patty Mills, who was on the bench, too. I mean, like, what do you guys think of that, like, first firsthand when I mentioned that? Uh, I'm going to start with James. Yeah. What do you think of that, uh, James? Um, I would say that, like, I mean, it, w- it was definitely a tough matchup because, you know, they the Celtics lacked in the second quarter, especially when it came to, you know, scoring. And, uh, I mean, they only had 17 points in the second quarter, which should be, which in Brad Stevens' mind should be unacceptable, which is why they bounced back in the third and got nearly 40 points. But, um, you know, that the second quarter killed them. I mean, they, they allowed 36 from the Spurs and that their, their offense was just running at that point. And then they carried that through within the third quarter and the fourth quarter, just the Celtics ended up doing better in third than they did in the second, which I think was a good improvement and a good change around from, from halftime. But, um, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of the Spurs players played really well. And um, I think that, you know, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about later, but uh, I, I think that Kimball Walker needed to be a lot more apparent, even even though he had also scored 14 points. Yeah, I mean, definitely the Spurs just had a really good game. You know, just looking at it right now, I mean, they shot 56% from the field for the whole game as a team, which is crazy in and of itself. Uh, you know, like James, I think you said it, or Makoto, you said Marcus Aldridge had a good game. He was just bullying people in the paint. He shot 50% from three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really the Spurs, they definitely had a good game, you know? So I think that it's a lot of it falls on the Celtics for sure. You know, especially, you know, like Kemba Walker, we will talk about that more so. But um, I think a lot of it was just the Spurs. Or they just had a really good game. Yeah, uh, that's fair. And it's just funny. It's just watching the game because, like, I felt like that was an easy game. Like, you know, it looked like we should have won that, you know, fair, at least by, Definitely. like, five, ten points, whatever. Mm-hmm. It just it just surprised me because, um, yeah, that's stat line, of course, that, you know, six other players had double digits. But also another stat line that really like, got me, like, kind of triggered is that their, their, okay, their team average, the Spurs team average three-point percentage was 28%. But the thing that stuck out to me the most is DeMar DeRozan scored a, a, was 100% from the three-point line. And you know how DeMar DeRozan is. Yep. Like, you know, Reed, what do you he think of that? Up. Like, DeMar DeRozan's like I mean, 100% from three-point. He, he went two for two from three, which is, I mean, that's that's solid, of course. I mean, he scored 21 points. He went seven for eight from the field for the rest of the game. So, obviously, he was shooting the ball just too well, you know. Um, so, definitely, he had a big game, and he definitely helped them lead it. He also picked up five rebounds and seven assists, you know, so he was definitely – he filled up the stat sheet that night for sure. He was on his way to a triple-double, and I think that it was uh, – if he had more time, he would have been able to do it. But, uh, you know, it's a shame that the, that the Celtics defense wasn't able to contain him like they normally do when they match up against the Spurs. You know, I think that DeMar DeRozan's a real talent and a real threat that people – sometimes sleep on and forget how good he he can be and especially how he good he used to be on, on uh, Toronto 
And I think that a lot of people start sleeping on him now because he he's, he doesn't have the same type of role that he yeah. did on the on the. Well, he, he's getting old too, you know. He's getting older, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. So of course he, people know. are gonna sleep on him. Exactly. So like, the with with the factor of his age and the fact that he's on uh, on a different team, even though he's been on uh, this team for what two three years now. Yeah, he, he's been there for a bit. Yeah, he 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 can definitely still show up when he wants to, and I think that the night that he played the Celtics that he turned up that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'm, I might've mentioned this last time also about um, the Celtics game, but they got to do a better job of taking away options, you know, mm-hmm. cause they had, Spurs had six players in double digits. You've got to take something away. You know, you got, you got to be able, you got to be able to lock someone down. You know, I'd, I'd rather have LaMarcus Aldridge get 20 points and everyone else get, you know, single digits or like around 15 or something like that, you know, but um, we had three, two players scoring 20 points, uh, 18, 14. So yeah, they, they just got to do a better job of taking away options. It's funny enough you mentioned that because I was about to say that exact same, you know, wording and everything because yeah, I'd, rather, it's, they, I'd rather lose by, from LaMarcus Aldridge scoring 40 and the rest of the guys scoring five than the rest, all the team scoring 15 plus. And like, it just, mm-hmm. there was, it looked like there was no way to contain any of them. So if the one guy could get contained, the other guy would pop off. So like, I don't know, it didn't look like it was hard, but also the DeMar DeRozan thing going back to that. It just surprised me because also this, like during the season, like this whole season, he's been scoring 30, he's 37% from the three point line this season which is like the, his highest, his, his like in his whole career. Yeah. He's, he's never been a good three ball shooter. This is why this was like surprising. Even though he only, he only shot the three twice. It still surprised me seeing 37% next to his, his career average. And if you, James, you got anything to add to that? To add real quick, um, you know, I, I know I bring it up almost every time that we have this podcast, but uh, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the Celtic stat sheet, Robert Williams played 13 minutes and had seven rebounds with six points and one assist while Daniel Tice played 12 minutes. Granted that he was also the starter and had one rebound and five points, which oh. in my opinion is just depressing. Hey, Danny, he also, also went one for one from three. All right. Let's yeah. not forget about, <laughs> let's yeah. not forget I mean, about Daniel Tice, the sharpshooter. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like to hate on Daniel Tice because he is a solid player and he's a really good offensive player for, uh, and for, for the Celtics uh, as a center, mm-hmm. but, uh, that game, he, he did not show up. And I think, no, that, and he's not, he's not a defense. Player. He's not a defensive option for them. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, I was, it's funny enough you mentioned Robert Williams. I was just looking quickly looking at his offensive defensive ratings. His okay, Robert Williams' offensive rating, which is is one sixty three, which is really good, and his defense mm. rating is one hundred three, which is also really good. And this yeah. is also just in his base numbers. I don't know his per thirty six numbers, but they're probably way higher just based on his efficiency already. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, his efficiency is. I was just about to say that thirteen minutes, six points, uh, how many seven boards? So I mean, come on. You, why, like Brad Stevens has got to put this man on the on the floor more. And the thing that I love about him so much is that even though he isn't getting a lot of run, he with the minutes that he's getting, he's been staying relatively consistent, which mm-hmm. I love about him, and that's why that's one of the main reasons why I believe that he should move up to the starting position. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. We've been preaching it since day one, James. And then, like, it, I can be, I'm going to give you a transition to the Lakers game because unless you guys have any other comments about the, uh, the Spurs game, I'm going to move on. So do you guys have any last comments about the Spurs game? Nothing for me. Other than the fact that Jeff T, the, the 
Celtics bench also needed, they needed to show up more. All right. Jeff Teague went 0 for 3 from yeah, the field. So, I mean, he's got, he had eight minutes, which is uh, not a lot of time, but I mean, still, you know, you gotta, you gotta come out to play, especially a veteran like him. I think yeah. uh, semi, semi Olegier's defense could have, uh, could have definitely helped a lot more, but you know, with the time that he had, I can kind of understand it, but to a certain extent, you kind of have to also be able to put yourself out there on the court when you're, when you get in those minutes. Yeah. Uh, funny. I'm going to transition funny enough with the Lakers game talking about Rob Williams and semi Ojale first. And if mm-hmm. since we were all there to watch it together so we can, you know, COVID safe and everything, if that matters, but yeah, COVID safe, we were all together, but yeah, we watched it. And I'm just going to comment first thing about semi Ojale. He kept LeBron occupied when he was guarding him. Like he wasn't oh, like just definitely. laying off, like, you know, Oh yeah. Like, like he actually like, did a decent job on defense and you know, that was crazy. And also Robert Williams, his defensive rating that game for the Lakers game was 86, which means like you saw him like well, dude, body, we saw, body we AD. saw, <laughs> we saw AD and blocking yeah, I mean, him. He like, got two blocks in like five seconds. <laughs> I mean, it was that was crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this to start about the Lakers game, you know, the score was like you know one point difference, and you know it was a well fought game, and I really love that we actually did a good job of locking down AD. I think that was the more important thing because LeBron was was pretty much free. I think like most of the game. It looked like, you know, even though, you know, Ojale tried, you know, Tatum had his, had his moments with them. So they did it pretty good at locking down the stars, I, I would say relatively, because I think AD's way more of, you know, I think in my opinion, he's way more of a threat than LeBron is. You know, you guys can put your opinion on that, but I think AD's probably the person you want to lock up over LeBron. Uh, James, what do you think of that? I would totally agree with that. I mean, personally, like, you know, I, I'm not a LeBron hater in any regard, but I, I do believe that, you know, his age is starting to catch up with him. He's starting to do a lot of different, more specific jobs on for the team than he has been used to in most of his career because he's had to lead the team and pretty much do a, almost nearly everything on the court. Now with the help of AD, he can lay back on the perimeter and shoot threes and be a facilitator and pass down low. Like, I think that AD is the true threat of the Lakers as of right now, and he's going to be for a while now. So that is the guy that you need to focus on. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was going to say pretty much something exactly like that. Um, LeBron is definitely, he's getting more assists now. Uh, he's shooting the three ball more, and that's because AD is, you know, their main option for offense uh, for the most part. So they definitely need to lock down or they need they need to they need to press harder on AD, you know, because I'd rather have LeBron James drop 30 points and one assist as opposed to dropping 30 points and 20 assists. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he definitely they need to take away uh, an option. Like I said last time, same thing with the Spurs. And I think I said it last time I was here as well. They, they just got to take away an option. And um, I think, yeah, they definitely did a good job with that. I mean, LeBron shot seven for 17 from the field. Uh, four for 11 from three so he definitely wasn't having a great night um, you know but they definitely I mean he scored, scored 21 points so he still still had a good night but um, they definitely need to focus on AD more he's clearly the bigger threat and if you look at the uh, if you look at the team comparison stats you know realistically on paper the Celtics should have won the game I mean they, mm-hmm. they they didn't they weren't far off with it with any stat relatively the 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 most the thing that hurt the Celtics the most was offensive rebounds with the Lakers had 13 total in the game and the and the Celtics had nine which isn't even that far off so like the fact that both teams were playing 
nearly identical to each other proves that mm-hmm. you know that that both teams are beatable from both perspectives and if the Celtics want to be able to beat the Lakers and match up like this uh, to them they got to be able to close out in the fourth quarter which is exactly what happened mm-hmm. when the Lakers scored 25 compared to the Celtics 17 I mean you got to be able to close out the game and you can't always rely just on you know your top guys and Jalen Brown and uh and Jason Tatum to put those uh to put those games away the whole team needs to come together and have that chemistry and be able to facilitate on the rest of the, on the rest of the game in crunch time yeah uh, yeah they definitely enough. need to work on closing out yeah uh funny enough when you were talking about stat lines being real close like I looked at every single stat like very closely like before this and every stat you can look at is pretty comparable on both sides like I can give you one example is the true shooting percentage on the Celtics was 54% and the Lakers were 52. Uh, the rebounds were comparable. The points, of course, were like a one-point difference. The offensive defensive ratings, which is one thing I love to look at, the Lakers had a 104, uh, 104 which means the, uh, the Boston Celtics defensive rating was 104, and then their offensive, uh, their, the Lakers defensive rating is 103, which is the Celtics offensive is 103, which means on paper, they're offensively and defensively, they're playing pretty much similar. They're, you know, botting each other, playing good offense, defense, et cetera, which, you know, says a lot with their stats being very similar. Like there's no stat that like is like skewed, like both on both sides. Like everything looks pretty much neck and neck with each other. There's nothing I could see that was like, oh, this was the deciding factor of the game. No, they were both really good teams. They played well. I think the only thing is like just mental stuff with the Celtics. Just, yeah, as James said, the fourth quarter closing out was the only thing that mm-hmm. I could really. Yeah. And see. it obviously didn't help that Marcus Smart had to leave in the second quarter. I think it was. Um, I think it was third quarter. Third quarter, whatever. He left before the end of the game, obviously. So that definitely didn't help them. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, all these stats are super comparable. I mean, the Celtics shot the on on paper per their field goal percentage was better than the lakers they made three more field goals and shot about four percent better from the field um their free, you know free throws like ev- really everything was super identical so like james said on paper the the game the celtics really should have won this game oh, and, and quick thing james can i can i say something real quick yeah of course yeah, yeah. Uh, so Reed, do you know what true shooting percentage is uh sort of so basically it accounts for their field goal, their three point, their free throw, and also their attempt rates. So like, mm-hmm. if you look at this, the field goals, it is comparable. That's why I was, I always throw out true shooting percentage because that just accounts for everything. And so, yeah, if I ever throw out true shooting, it just like, it kind of just sums up everything when I just, All right, I got there. you. Yeah. So James, you can continue. Um, and I was just going to add to, uh, to read proving why the Celtics should have won that game is they, they, the, the big stat that, that, shows that to me is points in the paint the, i was Lakers, just looking at that one yeah the Lakers. the lakers had 40 points in the paint compared to uh the celtics have 60 points in the paint that should be completely a a, a, a major factor as to why the celtics should have won this game they were dominating the paint on the mm-hmm. lakers defense especially since shocking. the lakers are such a paint heavy team Exactly. You know, AD, AD loves going into the paint. So, Andres yeah, Harrell. that's definitely it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Trez also. Yeah, you got big shot blockers down low, and they allowed 60 points in the paint. That should have easily been a, a, a major factor for the Celtics to rush in on the paint and get more points and be able to, be able to finish out that game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this game, there's a lot. I mean – 
I feel like it was a lot of stuff, just like intrinsic stuff that really separated this game. Cause I, you could look at numbers all day and like, you can say like any data analytics guy, analytic guy would be like, yeah, this game should have been like a tie, but mm -hmm. you know, I think if you watch the it game, it almost was, I mean, they only won by one. Yes, it almost was. And we'll talk about, I'm going to talk about actually, let's transition to the Kemba thing. You guys watched the last five seconds of that game. And Kemba <laughs> took that, yeah. took that contested mid-range shot. Even interesting, though, an interesting shot. And I, I was, I was arguing, you know, Brandon Brown was open on the corner, but you know, James was saying like, yo, he couldn't have made that pass in time, but yeah, there was yeah. options. There was options available. And plus Tatum was in the back in the half court, not helping out with the last. He was walking. He was walking. Yeah. He was walking with LeBron. I'm like, He's walking. I think Tatum is our best guy for this kind of clutch shots over. I think him and Brown are the best options for. And last, they've last proven second. that they've proven that. Yes. That they can, that they can close it out in clutch time. You know, Jason Tatum has proven time and time again that he can hit those clutch shots. Yeah, and 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 Tatum, uh, looking at it, looking at his stats, I mean, he almost had a double double. I mean, he had he had, he had almost had a thirty point double double. I mean, mm -hmm. he there there shouldn't have been a reason why they shouldn't have passed to him to take the last shot of the quarter. I mean, it, it doesn't it didn't make sense to me why they wanted Kemba to shoot that. And to a certain extent, I understand that he had the whole left side that opened to him, but realistically. You know, four seconds left. Dish it down low. Try and get an alley oop. Do something that will that will get you an, a more open look than the, than the shot that he took. I would have I would have taken I would have been happy if Kemba took a three even. You know, other than I mean that contested mid range shot was just not a good shot at all. Yeah, and I mean to add to that, uh, he was open on the three to take the three. So exactly, like, he drove right in. I, I I don't remember exactly yeah. who was defending him on that play, but he drove right into him. They didn't need to take a three, but they could have easily taken the wide open shot. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, like Reed saying, I would have preferred the wide open shot than get a closer mid range that is contested. Yeah, also, can definitely. we can we can we not can we like can we like uh, give some props to, to Daniel Tice for that last second effort against AD? Oh, yeah, no, shot. dude, he was close. He was yeah. real close. And Tice had a really good game. He bounced back after the uh, after the. the extreme shitter that he had against the Spurs mm -hmm. yeah so again think, two for three from yeah. two for three from three he's a sharpshooter out there <laughs> dude looking like Al Horford stats kind of deal which is what, I, what the Celtics really do need I wish we had like a I wish we had an Al Horford type you know a really good defensive guy who yeah, could yeah shoot prime Al Horford, would be, prime really Al Horford would be great but yeah Tice I think is a really good serviceable guy but you know as we've been saying Robert Williams is there you know, Grant Williams is also there. You know, funny if you want to put Taco there, we want so we could, but I don't think he's, he can compare it to AD Taco's and stuff. Yeah, saying? no, no shot, no shot. <laughs> the giraffe goat. Um, but yeah, um, let's try, I'm actually going to go back to the Kemba thing. I actually want to talk like a little like quick segment on Kemba because it, this game really opened my eyes, like, and also last game with the Spurs, like his efficiency in the past four games has all been negative. That's plus minus efficiency mm -hmm. has all been negative, which means like, overall his game his overall game has been a negative to the team like it hasn't been helping and I looked at his stats real quick and the funny thing I'm going to bring up true shooting again but his true shooting percentage for this 2020 season only at six games though is 49 percent which is really Ooh. terrible for any player because usually on average you want a player to go high 50s mid like low 60s on an average true shooting compared mm -hmm. to his like 2020 year which was 57 percent which is like pretty good because he also has other guys taking shots for him, but that that's pretty good. I would like a fifty-seven percent, but he's forty-nine. That means his regular free uh, field goal percentage is not as good. His three-point percentage has been lacking. I mean, free throws are pretty easy, so I can't count that. But I think mainly his three-point shot has been lacking, and his main field goal has been lacking. 
So, yeah, I mean, I'm, like, how have you guys been seeing Kemba? Like, James, what have, what have you seen from Kemba this year from his only his six-game slate? I mean, like, for me, it, it, I, I'm debating now on whether his injury really isn't fully recovered. I mean, because, like, if we're, if we're looking at this season, like, like you said, with his true shooting be, being way under than it was the year before, like, I, I'm, I'm considering that there's something wrong with Kemba that he's not telling the media and that he is just because I, I don't I don't personally believe that he's just playing a bad season like they Kemba is a really good player. And, and we've seen him be able to play at a high level on the Celtics previously. So I don't understand the slump that he's in. Then again, I'm also thinking, well, you know, there are guys in the league like, you know, for example, Devin Booker, who are ha- not having as good seasons as they, as they have previously. But, you know, Kimba's still young. I mean, he he's still a really good player. He can still put up those high 20, uh, low 30-point games. I mean, it, it makes me genuinely question whether there's something possibly wrong with his body at the moment. I would completely agree with that because he's not the kind of player to go through this bad of a slump, you know, like uh, without some sort of like external force harming, doing whatever. Cause um, I mean, the Spurs game, he shot two for seven from three in the Lakers game. He shot over five from three. Um, so he's not the type of player to go two for 12 over two games you know, um, he's not that kind of guy. So I, I agree with James. There's definitely something going on with him. Probably the injury. I would, uh, I would put my money on that. Yeah. His, I mean, his three point percentage has been comparable on the rest of the games also. Like we haven't really talked about him, but I start, I like, I didn't really notice Kemba's like how, how his efficiency has been like not that good. Cause I've been focusing on more like, Oh, Tatum's back. You know, he's been really oh. contributing. Jalen mm-hmm. Brown's been really popping off this year and like looking like mm-hmm. an MVP type year. So like I haven't really saw Kemba until this game. That last second shot really like, all right, I need to see what's up with Kemba. And I just realized looking at his stats, like, oh my God, like is Kemba okay? Like I know Peyton Pritchard got injured too. You know, I feel like if Kemba needs some time to recover, we have Jeff Teague as a as a backup, which has been really good at the beginning of the year when he was injured. So mm-hmm. I feel like he could replace him if we need if he needs time to recover to get back to hundred percent like he was last year. I feel like we need that right now. We can't have our third a third option being a little lacking. Well, like like a Mm -hmm. 75% Kemba. Yeah, because I mean, if he take if if he takes however much time he needs, right? Let's say he'll take like um you know a couple weeks off, whatever. If he's gonna try to you know fully, if it is the injury, assuming it is the injury, um yeah, I mean you still got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown as the first two options. Those guys obviously have proven that they can get the job done in most cases. And yeah, Jeff Teague has been a solid option. Obviously, he's not Kemba Walker good, but I mean, still he definitely is a facilitator enough that um, he could definitely make an impact with those two on the court. James, you have anything else? Take the words out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so here, I'll throw this. I'm going to throw this hypothetical out to you guys. Um, so what if Kemba's not injured? This is actually 100% Kemba. This is how he's playing 100% right now. Is this James? Is this is this worth looking to options to trade him, or is there something we need to do with Kemba if this is actually how Kemba is 100% this season? Hot, hot take. He should be traded. If he, uh, if this who? is uh, that that no, that is a big question. That it could be interesting. I I definitely wouldn't try and send him back to Charlotte. Uh, sure. but um you know i i mean i think that he needs to be put on a team to where he doesn't have to feel like he 
has so much pressure on him. And I, and it might be that on the Celtics, assuming that it isn't the injury and that it, he is 100% right now. If he feels the pressure, then he needs to go to a team that that isn't pressured. And you know, you could you can name off a bunch of teams that would be low pressure teams for him. You know, like things like teams like the Magic or uh, or the Raptors. You know, get him involved in there. Or even I mean, even though I would hate to see it because I'm a godly hated Lakers hater. Uh, but he could go to a team like the Lakers. I mean, it, mm-hmm. there's just teams where, that he needs to be put on that is low pressure. And I don't think that Kemba is genuinely used to being in playoff contention and going for the title as often as we've seen in his past on Charlotte. I mean, he, he, he can't, we, we've seen that he can't lead a team to the playoffs. We've seen that he is able to put up huge, huge numbers when it's a low risk opportunity. So if they're going to trade him, I would trade him to a team. Probably the, the first one that came, that came to mind, like I just mentioned was the magic. And I feel like that would be a, probably a good option for him considering that Martel Fultz is such an injury prone player. Yeah. I, I actually really like the, like the magic idea. Um, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to answer to not trading him. And uh, honestly, if this is really like how he's going to play and they're not going to trade him, this man needs like some mental detox or something. He needs like a spiritual walk or something, you know, but yeah, like, yeah, like a walkabout. Um, like, I mean, seriously, because if this is how he's going to play, uh, you know, like if this is, him now this is if this is what we're gonna see for the rest of the season which I don't think it is but if it is um then I really I don't see any other option than trade yeah uh well for at least what I think is that I feel like since Kemba's a point guard he needs to go to a place that there's not point guard heavy so I, I would disagree with James on like trading him to the Raptors or the or the Magic because they got Marco Fultz they got Fred Van Fleet who's been and Kyle Lowry have been really good and my team I was thinking actually that came off the head was the was the Rockets you think about it that they really only have Victor Oladipo. And... They just got John Wall. Oh, they do have John Wall. Yeah, you're right. Actually, never mind. No, they no. They definitely the Rockets do not need the Rockets Campbell do not. Walker. Yeah, I forgot about John Wall. He's been injured, so yeah, actually, never mind. That just that came off the top of my head. Yeah. I just can't he's been of... he's been playing well this season. Maybe actually maybe he could reunite him with Al Horford and go to the go to the Thunder actually, but I don't think they have any trade assets. Wouldn't be so... bad. I don't think they have any trade assets. That'd be I mean, they, they do, the only thing that I will say is that they do have Shy Gillis Alexander, who has been popping off this year, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's I, arguably an all-star this year. Could definitely. I, mean, get I would consider him a, a, a shooting guard, and I would put Kemba at the one. But that's how I mean, I that's, it, that that's how they did it when when Chris Paul was there before he got traded to the Suns. So I mean, that that could definitely be a good option for him. I, I mean, I would back that for sure. Yeah, I think honestly, I think how I see it from his past experiences with Charlotte, I think he needs to either be the the first option or the second option, like a really good player. Like he, he can, he's not going to lead the, he's not going to lead your team to a championship, but I feel like he can yeah. be that either se- really good second option or you know that you know not so good first option. Like I'm not saying he's a trash for trash yeah. player from not being a very good first option, but like first options are designated players who can who are mentally and physically able to lead you to a certain point. So like Tatum, I feel like he's mentally and physically able to lead you like to the Eastern Conference Championship, but I don't think I've ever seen him to the finals kind of right. deal. So I think Kemba can be a really good supporting player. I don't know about the, you know, third option, like he is at, at the, on the Celtics, because I feel like a lot of people are vying for shots. A lot of people are really good. 
So, you know, that kind of overshadows him. Like even like Peyton Pritchard and Jeff T, who's also in his point guard room, are also, you know, really, really good and really serviceable for people that can like play in his place for a second option if they really needed to, like a second yeah, point and, guard. And to your point, I mean, Kemba is like, like we've seen on Charlotte, he's a ball dominant player, you know, and you already have two ball dominant players in Jalen and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown now stepping up to a ball dominant player. So I think that the lack of ball handling that Kemba is doing for the Celtics is slightly hurting him, but it shouldn't be hurting him to the extent that it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick thing before you go, Reed. Um, oh, what was it? Yeah, actually, Reed, go. I, I got to formulate my thoughts about this, this take. If you have anything to add about Kemba. Did you say me go? Yeah, you, you cut go. out for me gonna, for a I'll, second. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I pretty much agree with what James said. Um, whatever's happening with him right now, it shouldn't be shouldn't be hurting him as much as it is. And if it is, if since it is hurting him as much as it is, uh, I think he needs time to like just sit back, you know, because um, <laughs> for the game is just not a stat line that a starting point guard should be putting up. All right. Yeah, actually, never mind. I, I kind of forgot what I was going to say about Kemba. But yeah, I, honestly, I'm on, I, I was just trying to think of the, it was something about, uh, something about the trade, the, something about trading him, but I, I didn't, I couldn't really think of what it was. But yeah, I mean, like, I think I'm on the side of just keeping him for now because I, it's only six games. So like, I'm not going to like, if this well, was Kings, like, the Kings would be a good option. The Kings, of that. If yeah. Aaron Fox is not there, but <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, what about again, Fox? an injury player. Yeah. That's true. That's like can barely play 30 games throughout the season <laughs> true seriously <laughs> yeah uh i'm gonna keep him for now at least from my opinion and we'll see like if it's like 30 games in like his 30 games without an injury then he's still like this i would be on your train of james train like just trade him find yeah. options before the trade mm-hmm. deadline yeah well that i think yeah both of us are on the the trade bandwagon only if he continues to play this poorly yeah yeah so uh, I'm going to end it off with a, you know, so I'm, I thought of this right now, actually, like do like a one minute take of like a current thing in the NBA. So my one minute take for you guys right now, uh, James, you can go first. It, is, is Utah legit being number one in the Western right now? That's, uh, good, that's a good question. Don't think, I think that it is, I think that it is an impeccable, you know, like it's a, it's a great like standard for where they're at and they're, they're doing really good. Will they keep it up? No, they're going to end up being like a four or five, in my opinion, because, you know, the way that they're playing, Gobert just got dogged by Jokic last night. Uh, and it, it's shown that he's he's been able to be a weak player at, at certain times. Donovan Mitchell's having a great season, and I think that Shaq totally pissed him off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, um, seriously. Yeah, but uh, – um, I think that Donovan Mitchell is doing great, I, and he's clearly the best player on uh, on the Jazz. Mike Conley needs to step up more if they want to continue the, the run that they're going at. Um, but, yeah, Rudy Gobert is having a good season, but I, do I think that he'll keep it up? No, because I think that there are a lot better centers in the league, in my opinion. That's just my hot take. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the Jazz, I, I agree with James. I don't think they're going to be one one seed this season. I don't think they can keep that up, but they, they definitely are vying for a top spot, no doubt. They have players that can obviously, um, you know, play basketball, put the ball in the hoop. Uh, and Rudy Gobert is, obviously, he's, he's been playing very well, uh, and Jokic dogged him because Jokic is not a traditional center, 
you know, Jokic is a rim protector um, and Jokic doesn't really, I mean, he does get to the rim a lot, but um, he's has, he's a threat from so many other places on the court. So um, I think that once Utah faces more teams that can really shoot the basketball, um, they're going to have a lot harder time staying in the top spot. Yeah. I mean, my take on that is just the, I mean, I think they're, I think they're, if I had to put it like they're a four seed at, at the highest, at the highest, because mm-hmm. you have to look at the standings, you see, you know, both LA teams mm-hmm. and then the, and then you have the, I think the Nuggets are legit. So I feel like those are the three teams oh, I would put ahead of them. Yeah. And, and I think Gobert, I think they should not have paid him that much money. He's his, his skill set is not seriously tailored, tailor made for the modern NBA center. So I feel like, you know, if this was like the early 2000s, like early 2010s and yes, Gobert is a great center. I would pay him that much money, but for right now, it doesn't seem very good. I mean, thank God Donovan's popping off at Jingles. Yeah, headband yeah, Joe. Yeah. Headband head Joe, Joe. Joe Ingles. You know, he's he's a little meme, and he's actually my name slash meme in our fantasy league. So yeah, Jingles. I'll always always preach for him. But yeah, he's he's been decently well too. Like that's the three names that you really hear out of there. Because Mike Conley's also really good. Like people don't talk about him. He's really underrated. But Mike Conley is also really good, and I feel like they're they have a decent squad. I don't think they're top level team, but I think they can they can make doing well. Yeah, they can make some noise in the West. That's all I'm gonna say. They can make noise in the West. Same with Definitely you know the, the Celtics in the East. Because now mm-hmm. with the with the Nets actually figuring it out, I feel like I don't feel as confident. But I if, feel if we figure it out, we no, did lose. You, you we did lose second, last you night. The, you guys are second in the East. I know but we are, dude. Our defense is so bad. There's no shot that we're gonna make a deep playoff run if yeah. our, we don't fix our defense. TLC shouldn't have missed that layup. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that one. But uh, that that that'll be my that's my Nets hot take. Yeah, <laughs> is... definitely definitely when the Nets play the Celtics again, we'll have another hot take on on the on the Nets. But yeah, that's Utah. I, I you know I'm not gonna hate on them, but I, I think they have they can make some noise. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, I want to oh, see them do well. Yeah. I want to see them do well for sure. But um, I mean, like you said, Moko, in uh this modern NBA, uh you know don't you can't be paying uh Gobert that much, and also you can't really make a team around a center anymore, you know, or a center that is like Gobert. You know, you can do that with a center like Jokic who can pass and shoot. But um, Gobert's a rim protector. You can't really build a team around that. Yeah. Today. Yeah. So I mean, that's it for for everything on the on the on the slate. I don't know. I haven't really looked at the, uh, the next games, but I know the Suns are actually playing them tomorrow. We're recording this on yes, Monday, sir. and I know James is a big Suns fan, so we'll be talking about that mm-hmm. game next week. And yeah, for the that's it for the Celtics side. I will see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.